Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. Well, hello, and welcome back to Podcast by Proxy. Hey. I've been doing so many meetings at work that I'm getting quite good at speaking, so. Your professional voice is... It's getting, yeah. The other day, and like, you know that I get very overstimulated pretty easily, so... Yes. Like, I definitely thrive behind a computer with headphones on, like, talking to nobody, just doing my work, and... I've been basically directing like hour long info sessions to like 40 people at a time for four hours a day. And by the end of it, I've had no coffee, but I'm vibrating because I'm so... You're almost... on a natural high. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it's insane. So anyway. I'm so, buzzing. We have something a bit different today for everybody. We do. Um, so that's really and what I fun. realized. Technically, I think this is our second season now if we've had an anniversary. That's fair. We could say that. We're in our second season. Season two, but it's just the season that never ends. Yeah, but that's how every podcast is, is, you know, like, it's our anniversary. Season two. (laughs) I'm going with season two. We made it to season two, people. (laughs) Well, in that case, we're doing a season one recap today. Uh, Yes. We covered... Quite a few cases in 2021. I think we had like 56 episodes or something like that in 2021. Um, And since then, there have been some updates, some significant updates, some not so significant updates that maybe we want to share anyways. And it's going to be a bit different. We're just going to chit chat, kind of tell you about what's been happening with some of the cases that you heard last year from us. Um, I will suggest... For the updates that I'm going to be covering, I will be discussing Naomi Onatera, the Wells Gray Park murders, uh, Trina Hunt, as well as the episode we did on Barry and Honey Sherman. If you haven't listened to any of those episodes and you want to, go do that first before you listen to this episode because it's going to be like hella yes. spoiler alert. Um And a lot of stuff just won't make sense because I'm not recovering these cases again before I tell updates. So that's really all I wanted to say, but I'm pretty excited for today. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm going to be covering Nancy Cooper, David Alexander Snow, and maybe some little fun facts about, you know, our favorite girl, Jodi Arias, because everybody seems to hop on the Jodi train whenever her name's posted, so... I thought I would just give a little life update of where is Jody now? That was a really, really, really popular episode. I think that was one of the first times that we were both like, holy, whoa, holy, whoa, yeah. that's a lot of <laughs> listeners. Um, it happens periodically. Holy, whoa. I just wanted to say welcome to any new listeners. We've actually had quite an uptake in listeners in the last two weeks. So if you're new to the show, welcome. We're so happy to have you here um that's about it though i think yeah just trying to think if there's any other housekeeping or i mean as always 
You can follow our social medias at Podcast by Proxy on everything. We are most active on Instagram. Um, we do have a Patreon, bonus content, ad-free yes. episodes, early releases. Join the club, patreon.com slash podcast by proxy. And without further ado, we are going to get into some case updates, I think. Sorry, I just also wanted to say welcome back to the gym, everybody. I know I that... Was, I knew you were going <laughs> to say that when you touched your hair. I just... As you were like, oh, yeah. Welcome I, back. I had to... I had to Welcome back. I literally felt like I was going home. That's so dramatic. But like to the one, to the 1% of people that care about that listening to this, welcome back. So many Instagram stories are like, welcome back, old friend. And it's just people posting pictures from outside their gym Mm -hmm. because they're going in. Yeah. So for anybody that's like, what are you talking about? Uh, We live in British Columbia in Canada and there have been (laughs) gym closures uh, since honestly not that long. It's been like three weeks. Uh, But it was a huge deal and everyone was not very happy. So we got our gyms back. (laughs) The world has got balance again for To be honest, I will probably continue my home workouts because this is the first time in my life that I've actually, like, enjoyed a home workout, stayed consistent with home workouts, and got Mm -hmm. a good home workout in. Like, pretty much every time afterwards, I'm sweating and, like... I have actually seen progress in the last three weeks at home. So that's something that I would like to keep up, I think, just as like a maintain a new habit. Like a personal goal. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I think it also takes away that variable of feeling like something's taken away from you because there is a lot of unknown with the next months and potentially year or years even with the virus. So I think knowing that this is always something that could fluctuate back and forth, open to close, I think it's a good habit to get into. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel that dip of sadness when you feel as though something's taken away. Yeah, it doesn't feel... Because you've adapted and you have your balance in a different way. Yeah, it doesn't feel like much of a blow if you've kept it up a bit and it's like, okay, that kind of sucks. Like, I do like to get out of... That's my one time that I get out of the house. Um, For anybody else that works at home, I'm sure you feel that, but... It is nice to get out of the house, and I like spin bike, but other than that, like, it's kind of nice to not feel as defeated uh, knowing that the gyms could close, and I'm not just going to, like, lose everything. Anyway, this isn't a fitness podcast, but uh, I just wanted to, you know. I'm totally one of those basic white bitches that really wants a Peloton. (laughs) Everybody wants those right now. Honestly, like, I love the spin bike. It's not that expensive though when you look at a gym membership to what the benefits are with it and I understand you need to pay for the bike and the subscription but when I looked into it it was about a hundred bucks and for me personally I don't go to the gym and work out when I did go do anything physical and yeah I know the like stigma to it but I loved CrossFit yeah and I can't get that same workout on my own yet because I'm not there Honestly, I feel like the stigma around CrossFit is silly because, like, if you've ever done a CrossFit workout and you've done it properly, you know that it's, like, insane. Like, it's insanely good for your, like, cardiovascular system. You will gain strength and, like, you don't have to work out very long to get a really good workout. Like, you could literally do, like, a 20-minute CrossFit circuit and be dripping in sweat. So, like, whatever. Whatever works for you. Preach. Um, would you like to be the one to start today because you have one more update than I do? So that way 
Um, I think we we'll can just, just like, kind of go back and forth. I think, like, um... That's there... what I mean, but do you want to start? Because I... you have one more. So then we'll go back and forth. I do want to start, um, because I think... <laughs> We're going to start with Naomi on Atera, and this is, like, really the case update that made us decide that we wanted to do this episode for the year. Um, so we'll start there, and it's, in my opinion, the saddest update. Yeah. Recently, I mean, it was a recent case. We covered this within like the last two months, but we covered the. And when we covered it, it was current. It's not like it was an old case at the time as well. No, no, it was very current. And we kind of hadn't heard anything in a while about it either at the time that we covered it. There was the search of her home. Yeah, in September. And then, you know, that big silent period, which we can all kind of guess what goes on there, but. Um, so we don't have any news at all regarding Shannon White, who we also covered during that episode, but we do have a heartbreaking update regarding Naomi. Um, on December 18th, 2021, the Integrated Homicide Investigative Team, aka IHIT, through Sergeant David Lee confirmed that Naomi's remains had been located, but that searches were still ongoing with several places left to search. Um, They also announced that Naomi's 49-year-old husband, whose legal name is Obnis Regis, was arrested and charged with two counts, one of manslaughter and one of indignity to human remains. They also announced at the same time that the missing persons investigation would be officially investigated as a homicide. That's a big shift. That's a huge update. Alone, just that one piece. Yeah, and I mean, the term remains. Um, Obviously, her husband is in custody, so there's just a lot that's, you know, sad about this. One day prior to this announcement, investigators were seen, which was December 17th, um, entering and leaving the home that Naomi shared with her husband in full forensic gear, and they sometimes were carrying plastic evidence bags. The presence of, of course, the charge of indignity to human remains, uh, the term remains and not body being used, and the fact that investigators were carrying plastic evidence bags, and that they have more places left to search, uh, it just doesn't really leave much to the imagination about the state that she was found Naomi was seen, of course, last seen leaving her home without her car in August. That was the report by her husband, and I just don't really buy it anymore. Um, (laughs) Reported missing by her mother the next day. She was a 40-year-old elementary school teacher at Catsey Elementary School in Surrey, and she was the mother to a two-year-old daughter. She was beloved by her friends and family. Um, This isn't the outcome that anyone was hoping for. So that's the update on Naomi. Uh, it's super sad. It's very sad. It's horrible. And this is still just the beginning in a lot of ways. Like, there's still going to be so many more updates about this case. Yes. There's still so much to find out and uncover. And and maybe that's something that we'll cover when... we never get. Yeah, like, maybe that's something that we'll cover when trials are done, if that becomes, you know, where that goes. Um, but we'll probably leave it for a while just let the investigation take its course. Oh my god, this is a monumental moment, everyone. Just mid 
Mid-case update. Uh, breaking news. Frankie and Katie's new Cat Wednesday are officially friends. I think this is the first time this has ever occurred. Wednesday is currently licking Frankie's face and literally rolling around with her. But this is great. Yay. It's so funny. <laughs> so cute. Every day they have like baby steps to becoming more and more friendly and yeah. Finally, Frankie's realized that, like, she is very big and Wednesday's very small. Yeah. And Poor Frankie. They're, like... Oh, they're, they're literally like, snuggling. Literally hugging. I can't deal. Cute. Okay. First update. And I will give a bit of a recap on this case because unlike the last one that we just touched base on, this one was very, very long ago. It was, like, episode six or something like that. Which is now, so I think, long. like, episode two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you do want access to our most earliest episodes, the first four that are no longer in existence on our main feed, <laughs> you can technically access those on Patreon if that's something that you're interested for whatever reason. <laughs> also, if there's anything that we don't have on Patreon that you would want to see or something that would like really interest mm -hmm. you more to sign up, like please PM us and let us know. We're happy to add anything. We're always trying to um grow and provide better content and like we want to bring you guys what you want to hear so just let us know yeah if like, you're do you more crime stuff do you want to know more about us do you, our lives yeah do you want to know about just like hobbies we do or sh do you want more of the like documentary reviews because we also love to watch the same content and we would be more than happy to do some more like watch with us yeah. netflix style Things like, like the that. Puppet Master so, that I just watched, the Netflix documentary. Oh, the, I was going to watch it tonight. So you have to, and then we're going to discuss it for Patreon. Like, we will do that because it's Hold insane. On. It's insane. Have you watched yet the documentary I've been telling you to watch for like a year called How to Fix a Drug Scandal? No. Because <laughs> if you tell me I have to watch something. No, I haven't. I will, though. dumbass over there has yet to watch what I told you to watch. <laughs> that sounds like something Brandon would enjoy, though. So maybe we will do that. We'll oh, just swap so docs, cool. and then we will record our, like, thoughts and everything. Oh and that'll be a Patreon episode for this What month. do you guys think, though, people? I just, Olivia Genuinely. just made it up. What if we do doc swap, where me and Olivia <gasps> each pick something, oh. and we make the other person watch it, and then we record an episode just talking about the two? Oh, I don't even care I if they want good. it. We're doing it anyway. Doc swap? <laughs> I think that's great. TM, TM, TM. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we have gone off the rails. Okay, we're going to come back to the station. This and, is what happens uh, when we record at lunchtime. And when we just record something a bit, I know I just talked about a Goofier. woman's remains being found. And that's like, I acknowledge that that's horrific. Like, I tried to say horrible and horrific in the same word. Uh, I acknowledge that that's horrible, but when we do these kind of more lighthearted collaboration episodes, they're just goofier. Yeah, I think it also just goes to show why Olivia and I just get in trouble when we're together. Because <laughs> when we're going back and forth, we're just like, no, 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 no. And people are like, shut up. We feed off, yeah. We really feed off of each that. other, for sure. That's true. Okay. And here we are. And here you are. So you must like it. Yeah. Anywho, is it Nancy Cooper, 12 years after being killed, her husband, Brad, actually walked free from the Mountain View Correction Facility in Spruce Pine. 
Uh, to give a bit of a recap quickly, 34-year-old mother of two, she was out jogging. She never returned home after a night out with, or sorry, a night out in a cul-de-sac group with friends doing kind of a block party where other friends had mentioned there had been control issues uh, in the way of keeping one of the children's passports, controlling her money, how much gas was in the car, as well as her access to computers and technology. So... Her body was found three miles from their home. Just so I was reading something recently and it was basically like the brain chemistry behind why it's so easy for people to like we always say like why would you stay with somebody when they cut off all of your freedoms and their everything like that and I was re- and it's like literally brain chemistry like when we fall in love our brain literally like unlearns our own identity essentially and then starts to like rewire to the identity of like being with somebody else and if that is immediately like toxic and starts going down that road it's like so easy to just completely lose your identity in this other person and then you like don't know how to ask for more do you know what I mean yeah anyway I was like reading it and like as somebody who's been in you know, quite. I was just gonna say toxic. I think we can abusive level. Yeah, everybody can relate to that. It's crazy to like, yeah, know that it's actually like something that's occurring inside behavior. your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like your body's conditioned into behaving a certain way in a relationship, mm-hmm. and it's like you're. It's like you take the first impression of the relationship, and if it's super toxic, and like the the manipulative through. personality just ends up taking over, and then you yeah. are left with like nothing. You're a shell of a person. Yeah, you're just there to do what they need. Yeah, it was a very interesting read. Anyways, sorry I interrupted you. No, it. Honestly, it's super interesting to know because before her and Brad got together, she was highly successful on her own, very strong-willed, and even her family was like, this is not who she is. She's not this passive, submissive person. It's just not. Same with her twin sister was like, "Uh uh-uh, something's not right here. Brad was found guilty of first-degree murder by a jury, but two days after his trial, the courts pulled him back in and the Court of Appeals overturned his verdict and ordered a retrial. The judge ruled that there was an error because um, they didn't allow key testimony, and then in this case, he got to plead guilty to second-degree murder in September of 2015, where he was sentenced to 12 to 15 years at that time. And at this point... With time served, he's now released. Released on time served. As of last year. Yeah. So he's out and his he has no contact and no ability to have contact with his two daughters who are being raised by Nancy's twin sister and her family. And Bella and Katie would now be 16 and 18 and for all intents and purposes are living quite a happy life in their new home. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so nice that her twin sister is raising them. Like, that's just such a wholesome, it's wholesome. There must be, like, a, I feel like in some small way that must help with not forgetting or not work. That, you know that piece oh, that yeah. when you lose someone, you worry about forgetting them? Mm-hmm. Their voice, their smell, everything. And just having almost, like, a carbon copy of them right there. Right. To just feel that sentimental closeness. I couldn't imagine how amazing that would be. Because not many people get that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. Well, 
I don't have much to say about that. He sucks, so. Yeah. I don't wish you well, Brad. I just hope you know that. I do not wish you well. Also, actually, quickly, I did cover a case early on that was out of the States, and although it doesn't actually have a real update, it was Michael Madison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say that in 2020, he did go for a parole review, and he was denied. That was it. He's (laughs) a piece of shit. He killed three women. Like, beat it. Yeah. We're still not interested in releasing you either, Michael, so. No, I read the headline, and I was like, you don't get a whole update screw you no you really don't but interestingly enough that was the first serial killer that we ever covered that was the first like technical serial killer that we ever covered on uh, this podcast and that was a story that i had truly never heard of before so it was pretty cool and it was also where we kind of deciphered that or explained the difference between a spree killing and a serial killing yeah his kills were over nine months yeah like they were there were few and far between and not close together and in masses so yes. yeah it was it was a good episode we really started to break some stuff down yeah fun well the wells great park murders episode dropped in march of 2021 this episode covered the tragic case of david shearing who shot and killed a family of six in 1982 while they were enjoying a camping trip uh he first killed george and edith bentley their daughter Jackie and her husband Bob Johnson while they were camping in Wells Great Provincial Park in British Columbia. David then took Bob and Jackie's daughter Jenna and Karen who were 13 and 11 years old at the time and kept them alive for almost a week before taking them into the woods and killing them one at a time. He then put I hate that case. Yeah, it's really brutal. Like rereading this, I'm like, I like can relive a lot of that. And I'm like, Ugh, and like the car and just like rethinking about everything. But yeah, just ugh. I was just gonna say he then put all the bodies in the family's car and he set it on fire. Uh, a long cross Canada investigation was launched. Remember that was with like the van. And, and the didn't sign? they, like, replicate the vehicle and everything? Yeah. 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 How, do you remember a vehicle that looks like this? Yeah, they drove it across <laughs> Canada. Uh, eventually David Shearing was arrested and he pled guilty to six counts of second degree murder in 1984. He was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Um, so he ended up being eligible for and applied for parole in both 2008 and 2012, which we talked about, uh, was rejected, applied again in 2014, but he withdrew that application. And then, Uh, As we mentioned in the episode, it was announced in February 2021 that David Shearing would be applying for parole once more. So at the time we put out the episode, we shared the link to a change.org petition um, to sign to help keep him behind bars. And thank you to anyone that took the time to sign that. It did mean a lot. Yes, and it actually did make a difference in this case. So if you don't think... That things like that work, um, that change.org petition was brought to the parole hearing. So the parole hearing occurred on September 15th, 2021, 40 years after the tragedy. And David told a two panel parole board that he had sexual fantasies, including rape and murder from back when he was in his mid teens. David, who is now 62 years old and goes by the name David Ennis, admitted to the parole board that when he saw the family's vehicle in the park, he began stalking them. He also said that at the time he was only interested in Janet. He killed the adults because they were, quote, in the way 
And he also said, quote, I saw them as a means to an end. The four adults as basically being in the way of what I wanted. So they were obstacles. Yes, yeah. correct. That's disgusting. Yes. Uh, he, also, uh, he also said that Karen just happened to be there. Okay. Yeah, it's just, and just, like, you're asking for somebody to release you into the general population. Just happened to be there. She just happened okay, to be so there. Okay, so then just walk away from her. Oh no, that wasn't Leave her option. alone. I know. At the time, David was speaking from Bowdoin Institution Federal Prison in Alberta, where he is currently being housed. Uh, he also admitted that the hit-and-run murder that occurred prior to the 1982 murders of the family made it easier for him to escalate his behavior because he got away with it. The parole board asked him what he did to the girls when he had them captive. Um, they noted that all forensic evidence was destroyed in the fire and there was no other witnesses to what actually occurred during those few days when he kept them. Oh, it's almost like he meant to do that. So all he said was that, uh, and this is a load of shit in my opinion, both girls were crying and seeing the effects of violence in real life stopped me from using violence for sexual gratification. Bullshit. So all the parole board said was what happened during those couple days that you had the girls before you killed them? Because nobody knows. Exactly. And he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't touch them. We never said you did. We just wanted to know what you did. You could have said, I took them up the mountain and we hiked for three days trying to hide. And it could have been this long-winded story of anything. And you just decided to say, like, well, I didn't touch them. Yeah. Like, I usually try and keep an open mind because humans are complicated. But that's a load of bullshit. Not this guy. This guy is a load of bullshit. 100%. The parole board heard nine victim impact statements from friends, families, cousins. Because, I mean, this guy annihilated an entire family. So they only have, like, cousins, aunts, uncles, and friends. They don't even yeah, have... No immediate family. None. They annihilated... He annihilated them, sorry. He single-handedly, yeah, took out an entire immediate family. Yep. One woman spoke about how the family is still not over the tragic event, saying, We fear for our lives... We fear he will kill again. He used it to destroy my family. He doesn't deserve a second chance. I don't even know why he got the opportunity parole for parole. Why did he not get these as uh, concurrent instead of consecutive? He should have gotten parole after what? Like it wasn't an option at the time. Fifty years when he was sentenced, that wasn't a thing. Ooh. But um, yeah, I think we talked about that in this episode as well. Just my thoughts around the fact that he can continuously apply for parole every two years meaning I think it's either a waste of time it's either two or four but it just means that like these victims get re-victimized every two years having to come on stand and testify as to why the person who killed their whole family should be kept behind bars like they just should Again, there's, a, talked about there's a gap in we the should system. be able to decide how long between parole attempts they get based on the severity of the crime. I think if something like this, you can apply for parole every 10 years. Yeah. Or like every five years. I'm not against Canada having life without parole. Me neither. I'm also not opposed to people applying for parole a certain amount of times. And then you're just being like, okay, you're cut off. Yeah. If you're not fixed by now, you're not going to get fixed. (laughs) Like, How many times are we going to like beat this dead horse? I know. And it's not about, like, 
them. It's just for me about the fact that like every single time the victim's family and anybody who cared about that person and wants to try and help them and keep their like story alive and their justice served has to do this every time. Anyways, the petition. How do you start to like grieve properly or move on to your next grieving process in life you and don't. start to like rebuild your structure and your norm you can't because all of a sudden you're re-victimized like you just said short answer is you don't the petition that we shared um after we released the episode was also brought for now i just want to preface this wasn't our petition we didn't start it we literally nope. just shared the link but uh, we did share it and some we of you... We did the bare minimum. Yeah, some of you did sign it and um, we signed it as well. It was brought forward to the parole board with over 100,000 signatures on it urging the parole board to deny David's application for parole. David apologized and said uh, he better understands the victim's pain and has lived with, I'm going to quote these, powerful feelings of shame and regret. The board was told that he had been attending uh, sex offender programs and works in the prison chapel. Uh, They also heard how he had taken a one-year course at the Prairie Bible College. Um, Of important note here, his parole officer did not recommend he be released on day or full parole. Like, they did not support that. Love it. Yeah. Love that. Which I think is quite important in a parole hearing because that's the person who really like analyzes this person the closest and the most because they do have a parole officer in when while they're incarcerated like there are parole officers inside 100 yeah i wanted to yeah i mean there's also the difference between like a peace officer and a probation officer and a Mm -hmm. parole officer Mm -hmm. and like there's so many different levels to it and i remember many times uh my mom fighting for and against yeah. people to get in or out or stay in or out. And it's it's a tough job. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was like 22 and in school, I wanted to be a parole officer in an institution. And like thinking... Uh, and oh, I bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah, and I, actually, I do think that <laughs> I would be good at that job. It's not that I don't think I could do I it. Too. I just like went a different direction with my life. Um, but thinking about it now, I'm like... <laughs> and here we are. Damn, girl, you were ambitious. Like, that is a hard job. That would have been extremely difficult. And I was very, like young and not yeah. mature <laughs> but i could have done it it's again yeah you could have done it yeah professional and personal personalities are very funny to me because mine are like polar opposites yeah mine just kind of all bleed into one <laughs> yeah, and that's my, just how di- people are just so different no. yeah which sees which he yeah So ultimately, the parole board did reject David Shearing's application for parole, stating that he still had deviant sexual fantasies. Uh, To quote the parole board, there are overwhelming negative aspects in your case. The gravity and severity of your offending, it's of the utmost level. It was very violent and it devastated so many people. When we look at your assessed risks, together with your diagnosis of sexual sadism, which largely remains unchanged, the most appropriate place for you to make gains is in the safety and security of the institution. Mic drop! Making gains. (laughs) 
He's in that gym. Yeah. Working on my fitness. The application for conditional release uh, on day or full parole was denied. Um, So if day parole had been granted, David would have been allowed to live in a halfway house. And if full parole was granted, he would have been allowed to live in the community uh, with conditions and reporting to a parole officer. Mm -hmm. So that was denied. Thank God. I mean, I don't think we had any questions that it wouldn't be, but you can never be too careful. I don't think he'll ever get out. I truly don't. I don't either. And sorry, how old is he now? 62. And it's been 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's There's a point at which we have to like, to... yeah. Well, I think it's going to be like your last one where he finally just withdrew his third application and was like, you know what? It's probably not going to happen for me. <laughs> I just don't think that even if he continues to apply for parole throughout his life like at a certain point we have to say like okay how long is too long to consider somebody uh rehabilitable that's well, not a I word but saying, do you know what like, i mean like how long is too long until we're like hey maybe they can't be rehabilitated rehabilitatable is that the word i think that's a real word i didn't say that i said rehabilitable rehabilitable <laughs> That's not a word. For sure. Sure, sure, not a word. But, Whatever. Um, yeah, I just think at a certain point it's like, okay, maybe we can't change this person or like. No, I right? agree. I or like know. three strikes, you're out. Yeah, like, yeah three I strikes, you're out would be a great I, rule. But I also think that that, I think it's a good motto to life for a lot of things, to be honest. Yeah. Um, as someone who played softball, I like that one. But uh, no, I do think, though, that if we could space out based on severity of crimes how frequently someone can apply for parole and there's a limit to how many times you can apply however if you decide not to apply for six years that's your choice you're working on yourself so that way you also have to put in the thought of are you gonna actually be successful you have to put more effort in because you can't apply six times yeah i was gonna actually say that a three strike rule would mean that hopefully people would apply a little bit more thoughtfully and like actually try yeah i think we'd see more productive development and maybe actually people having slightly longer stays than being repeat Mm. offenders which is going to be still less money on our system from trying and going through all the trials the arrests everything to do with the proceedings getting into it yeah i think we may also have a lower re-offender rate as well yeah and like it wouldn't work for everyone but there is definitely an argument to like there is an incentive mentally when you know that you only have three tries yeah i think the world we live in that's a very easy concept for people to understand and i think people are more strategic nowadays and i think they'll put the work in if you only have so few attempts we are just glorified monkeys people we do tricks for treats yeah <laughs> like that's True. that's literally it anyway that is my update on david shearing i'm gonna pass it back to katie for her case update but um we're very happy that his parole was denied and yeah yeah very very happy So, yeah, the next one I did was David Alexander Snow. He was charged with kidnapping and sexual assault of multiple women on a bit of a spree across Canada. This spree was following the tail end of an 
brutal attack and rape. He was responsible for horrifically murdering Ian and Nancy Blackburn in 1992. Following the closure of the antique store that he ran, it closed suddenly and he vanished into thin air, which again, we understand now can be a trigger when we're looking back at why people do things. Mm -hmm. He was the cottage killer, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, he was known as the cottage killer or the house hermit. Oh, right, the house hermit. I can't yeah. get over that. I will never get over that. Okay. Yeah. He was super well-versed in military tactics, which allowed him to hunker down and hide in homes and cottages where people were not staying in them for a prolonged period of time. Essentially, he was a really good squatter. Yeah. And depending on his needs, he could vanish into thin air for weeks at a time. Because mm-hmm. he could just live off the land. And when they went into his home, they found, like, all these military items categorized super meticulously. Oh, this is also the guy that, do you remember? He, like, pooped in newspaper and, like, left bottles of urine behind. And that's, like, immediately, like, essentially how they ended up almost catching him. Because they were like, oh, look, this guy forgot to take his shit with him. Literally. I didn't, but I do now. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. That's a weird calling card. Yeah. Ian and Nancy went out to their cottage. They enter the cottage, are startled to find a man standing there, which we now come to find out is Snow. He beats Nancy down to the ground and has Ian at gunpoint. He rapes Nancy, brutally attacks her, and then forces Ian at gunpoint to drive the car back into town to their large luxury home, where he puts the car in the carport, He then kills Ian and puts him in the trunk where he had also put Nancy to bring her body back to town. Following this, Snow was arrested. He was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, kidnapping, sexual assault, causing bodily harm, sexual assault, my least favorite one, forcible confinement, (laughs) robbery, and weapon offenses. He was given life without parole for 25 years as we are like a broken record here, so we're not going to get into it again. (laughs) Since then, he has attacked an inmate and threatened to kill someone else, both in 2008 while in prison. And he did apply for parole in 2019, but was ultimately denied based on the fact that although he had made a lot of progress, he still had a severe addiction with porn and unhealthy fantasies, and he was only in the early stages of really understanding and coping with his mental illness and what was going on in his mind he had completed anger management and a sex offender program which is mandatory for anyone who is found guilty of a sexual assault or sexual assault causing bodily harm and he was diagnosed uh, with paraphilia sexual sadism and antisocial personality disorder while incarcerated Hope he never gets out. Yeah, the fact that they're saying like, oh, he's made a lot of progress with his unhealthy fantasies and his porn addiction. He's just not there yet. It almost makes it sound like they're considering that he could be rehabilitated, which is a little shocking because he did remember before these murders attacked many women across Canada in vicious sexual assaults. I just don't know, because that's clearly a pattern of escalation. He's attacking, he's assaulting, he's murdering. Yeah. He has a clear pattern of escalating. Do we really, truly believe that he can get all of this under control? And maybe he can. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know. I just don't see it. 
and the fact that he didn't I feel like a lot of us just feel safer when these people are behind bars and it's not like black and white it's like if there's a question of like ooh maybe like no just don't let them out the community is not safe huh okay some people just need to stay behind bars yeah sometimes they do my next update is um Trina Hunt. So we covered another dual missing persons case in BC last year. Trina Hunt and Wendy Ladner Beaudry. I do not have any update on Wendy Ladner Beaudry. I don't have as big of an update on Trina as my last one, but I do just have a little bit of information that occurred after our episode in May of 2021. Yes. So it was about a week ago today on January 18th that marked the one year since Trina was reported missing. I was going to say the one year anniversary, but we never enjoy using that word when we're discussing somebody being murdered or going missing. So I'm just going to say it's been a year since that happened last week on the 18th. I personally like to use like it's the memorial date. Okay. Um. That's when, like, because I've actually had a lot of people when they say, for example, like when Simon and I were talking about it and I said, or and he was saying, how do you say it's the anniversary of something without sounding like it's a celebration? Mm-hmm. And I always say it's the commemorative date or the memorial date. So also, if there's something else that you think sounds uh, appropriate for that, let us know because we're open to it because it is a weird one. Yeah. So like I said, May 2021, we released an episode um, and part of that covered the what was at the time the recent disappearance and death of 48-year-old Trina Hunt from Port Moody, B.C., who was reported missing on the 18th of January 2021. Um, Her remains were found in Hope, B.C. in late March. The remains were announced by IHIT as belonging to Trina on May 1st, 2021. Trina was last seen on security cameras in the community on January 14th. She was said to have been on a weekend getaway with her husband Ian in Hope on January 16th and 17th and was reported missing by Ian on the 18th. Uh, He said that he came home to find she was gone. Birthday! Somebody's birthday is soon, by the way. It's yours. Actually, at the time this episode... Oh my God, this is going to be my birthday episode. I was going to say, at the time that this episode goes up, it'll be Katie's birthday tomorrow. Yeah, Wednesday. <laughs> Happy birthday tomorrow, Oh God, that Katie. just shows... That just shows how behind the ball we are and just, like, recording last minute all the time. We're a real-time podcast, people. Yeah. We like to give you the goods on the fly. Uh, If you want to get a timeline of this case, if you haven't listened to it already, I would suggest either listening to our episode as well as True North True Crime Podcast did really great coverage of Trina's case. They're another Canadian true crime podcast, um, a little bit more formal than than our format, if that's something that you're into. Now... Like I said, I don't have any huge updates, but in early June 2021, after we released our episode, homicide investigators confirmed that they had executed search warrants at two homes in connection with Trina's death. However, still no arrests have been made. The homes were Ian's and his parents weren't. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say the homes that have been executed by search warrants are the Port Moody home that Trina shared with Ian, as well as Ian's parents' home in Mission, B.C. 
Yeah, because remember, he fled to his parents' house and hung out there after it all went down, and he was kind of under the spotlight a little. We remember he took off to his parents. Yeah. Uh, A neighbor of the mission home told CTV News that the police had visited the home and mission multiple times. Vehicles have also been seen towed from both of the premises. Yeah, I remember when we saw Trina's car get taken away. Yeah. For investigation. pretty much just been that since then, honestly. Like, they'll see people go, like, police go to the home momentarily. The Facebook page is very much updated with, like, people that live near him or the parents' home. Like, they'll update anytime he does something, which is, like... (laughs) It's like neighborhood watch for this case. Yeah. (laughs) It's a little stalkerish. It's a little, it's a little, I mean, look at, they're... There's a murder on the loose. I'm not about to, like, scrutinize how people want to uh, deal with that. In June of 2021, a 4 by 8-foot sign was installed near where Trina's remains were located off Silver Skagit Road in a highly visible area with the hopes that somebody will bring forward information about her murder. The sign features Trina's face on its left side, the phrase help solve my murder in big letters on the top right, and then the reward of $50,000, which is still available, is listed underneath with the I hit number to call with any information. Trina's family held an intimate gathering to celebrate her life on August 7th, 2021, and they also held a public event in November of 2021 to raise awareness about violence against women and to kind of talk about and bring awareness to Trina's story, which I think is really great. Um, Yeah. I actually don't have it in this script. I think we talked about it when we did the original episode, but Trina's family was also very helpful in the search for Naomi on Atera, who... Yeah. Obviously, we talked about it at the beginning of the episode. Wasn't her cousin, mm-hmm. very like spearheading their families, like was very much a spokesperson for the family and was super helpful. Yeah, Naomi didn't have really as big of like a media presence as Trina yeah. did, but um, Trina's cousin in law, Stephanie, who has been their family spokesperson for the past year mm-hmm. and a bit, really jumped on Naomi's case and was. Like, helpful in, you know, sharing and creating. I believe she made the Facebook group help find Naomi. And, Aww. yeah, just very. Um, That's amazing. I always like it. Not that it's my thing to like, but I, I always think it's um, inspirational honorable. or honorable when you see somebody who's gone through such tragedy really use it to help other people. Yeah, to propel other people's cases or you know, needs. Yeah. So the police, the police continue to emphasize the need for the public to submit tips to help solve Trina's case and told news outlets that they are investigating every possible avenue. The latest known publicly available information for her case is the two search warrants that were executed in June. Police are unable to divulge the specifics of their investigation because doing so could put the success and outcome of the investigation strategies at risk. Um, they haven't even disclosed the exact location at where her remains were found, but they did suggest that the location that she was found suggested criminality. That is okay. the quote. So Criminality, that's a very interesting way to word it. Yeah, there's obviously something about the scene where she was found that led them to believe that there was something a lot a more sinister. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, like I mentioned, Trina's cousin-in-law, Stephanie Ibbett, has been the family spokesperson. Um, and upon the one-year anniversary of Trina's disappearance, she was quoted speaking directly to Trina's killer and anyone who knows what happened to her. She is asking anyone with information to come forward and speak with investigators. She said, quote, stop covering up for people. Stop trying to hide li- hide this. Because if the people that did this to Trina were able to do this to Trina, then the, then what's going to stop them from doing this again? She said, there's mm-hmm. no loyalty. There's no trust. Do the right thing and end the suffering. There's a lot of people suffering because of what happened to Trina. Yeah, it's a ripple. Yeah. Like, we have talked about that before where, yes, there is one victim in the case on paper. But the actual victims that happen from every crime is such a ripple effect and it affects whole communities even it can change the way a community sees their safe the way a small town views everything so it's not just one person or the family or this or that it's it can go so much broader than that yeah and this case will be reliant on like gopro footage uh doorbells i think that the location of where she was found was so out in the bush that that wouldn't even be an option but like hunting cams, um, anything like that. I'm sure it was an area where there's a lot of dirt biking and quadding and things like that going on. So, But didn't they say that they put the billboard up or the sign up near where she was found and that was highly visible? So I think what they did was they put it in like a highly visible area at the start of Silver Skagit Road where you would kind of like almost drive by it. You could like turn onto it or like keep going kind of thing. I don't know the area, obviously. I'm just... Um, based on like what I could see and what I read that's kind of what it sounds like it was Mm. like a higher traffic area but she wasn't found there um so anyways um yeah check your if you are if you do stuff out there if you go shooting if you do outdoor things in that area check your footage um from around January of 2021 that weekend the 16th to the 18th As always, if you have any information about what happened to Trina or any tips that could be helpful to the police to catch who they're looking for, please contact IHIT at 1-877-551-4448 or via email at ihitinfo at rcmp-grc.gc.ca. All right, Katie's up with her final case update for now if you guys like these please let us know because i would definitely not mind doing a case updates episode every once in a while like when they're available they obviously we do a lot of solved cases that just like don't have updates but um it was fun to research especially like because i have already fully researched all of these before we go into our next case update, I think we're going to take a small break. You guys can hear from our sponsors. I need to go fill my beverage, so let's do that momentarily. Good Food is Canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door. Good Food makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. They offer different meal plans to fit your needs like vegetarian, clean 15, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket. Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers and with good food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for good food today using the code free podcast by proxy to get your first classic box for free. That's free podcast by proxy when creating your good food account to get a classic box on us. 
Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. Yeah, I think this one will be a little bit, this one's more lighthearted, I would say, in the grand scheme of things. So I think this will also be a good representation of like, do you want us to do more like this where they are more fun? Yeah. In a sense, where we just rip on Jody talk Arias. We're ourselves and yeah, you know, about to rip on Jody Arias because <laughs> she's hot garbage. Um, I literally just typed in where is Jody Arias today okay. and just read through all these things of people complaining about how they've made her life hell essentially. Probably doing her <laughs> makeup in jail. Um yeah, I also read that along with her doing her makeup, she was singing Christmas carols. While she was just, like, in the interrogation room and stuff. Aside from the handstands, the makeup, and flirting with the officer, she was singing Christmas carols. Merry Christmas, my boyfriend died. Yeah. Yeah. Inmate number 281129 at the Arizona Department of Corrections in Goodyear. Lol. Would be Miss (laughs) Jody Arias. (laughs) Yeah. I was not <laughs> expecting you to come in with the fucking inmate number. That's gold. <laughs> the vibes here I are immaculate. So hard. Oh, I'm dying already. <sighs> it's just I hate her. Oh yeah, we all do. And this is also even more frustrating. The penitentiary or correctional facility that she's held at is one hour away from Travis Alexander's hometown of Mesa, Arizona. Oh. You couldn't have put him a little further away considering she's such an attention whore just because his family is there too. Right. Like, ugh. After two mistrials, she was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life without parole. Actually, life without parole because fortunately she's in the state. I was going to say USA things. I don't agree with everything yeah. they do and I wouldn't want to bring the death penalty back, but life no, without we're not parole, honey. enough to have it. <laughs> life without parole. Yeah. Lock them up and throw away the key. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, tie it to a boulder, sink (laughs) it in the ocean, throw it down there, make sure it never comes back. Yeah. Find Mariana's trench and put it there. (laughs) (sighs) I can't. So during her time in prison, as we know, she made everybody's life hell because she was literally just hell on two legs. Every lawyer involved in her trial hated her and every guard that she's ever been in contact with has said she's flirted with them or tried to manipulate them which honestly for a lot of them does actually work got the spotlight as being the hot girl i'm like we're not arguing that she is good looking like i can see why and like the other thing is she's so manipulative with her looks and her voice and her and her bubbly, yeah, kind of like baby she's talk so and, manipulative oh, with it. So, yeah, yeah. So, for a recap, Kirk Nurmi was her defense attorney, and he was the one that 
actually had to write a tell-all and go against every oath he had taken in law to keep stuff private so that he could save his own ass. And he wrote the book Trapped by Jody Arias. And I just wanted to mention that because if anybody would like to buy that to help Kirk out because he's no longer practicing law, I think we could all just like help him out there and buy the book. I think that could be a fascinating read. I know. I want to read it so Like as somebody who would have been seeing it from a completely different angle than the rest of us and like you said like knowing a lot of things that normally would have never come out due to the oath that you one you know take as a lawyer um that could be very interesting so I might have to find that book also imagine feeling like you have to give up your livelihood in a career that you fought so hard to have and you're probably really good at and this woman just single-handedly takes out your career oh my god it's not shocking though we are truly dealing with the devil yeah yeah her and carla hamalka are the devil yeah carla hamalka walks so that jody arias could run yeah and honestly i looked at their case and i was like i can't even give them any more time of day or energy yeah i don't even want to talk about paul and carla there's no updates there's there's no case update there no the only thing the updates are is some facebook page that keeps announcing where she lives now so people can just like harass her essentially i was gonna say i don't agree with either the only case update for that would be something about carla and like i just don't want to talk where about she lives. i don't want to talk about her i don't care what she's doing nope. i like it's no no thank you anyway leave her where she belongs just not on anyone's radar just ugh. October 2019, Jody had filed an appeal claiming that there was cumulative misconduct, very blanket statement, uh, by prosecutor Juan Martinez. Hey, Frankie. Also, I was watching The Prices Right the other day, and this guy named Juan was like, Juan Dollar! And I had to laugh so hard. It just reminded me of that. I love that. So, Judge Campbell said about Arias that Arias was convicted based upon the overwhelming evidence of her guilt, not as a result of any misconduct. And Martinez was actually disbarred, though, in 2020 due to allegations that he had leaked information to the media and that he was having an affair with said media representative. He also said it also came out that or was alleged that within the trials, he was talking to a previously dismissed juror after they had been dismissed and providing details still to them and had alleged sexual misconduct against him. In 2019, get this, the public finds out that Jodi Arias has had a boyfriend in prison for years. She was dating a man named Benjamin Ernest, and they were even considering getting married. Oh my god. I do take thee, murderer, to be my lawfully wedded husband. She was even in talks with, like, her mitigation specialist, which is the agent that would help her essentially go through the marriage process in prison and help her new spouse apply for the proper visitations through the court and everything. And she's on record saying to them, like, this is just what I need him to do. And, like, the way she's talking about it, it doesn't even sound like she wants to marry this person. She's doing it as a means to get more access to the outside world through this person. Because you could get, like, conjugal visits. Do inmates get conjugal visits? Yeah. Like, if it's two inmates. 
gifts. That, like, grants you the ability. That makes no sense to me. I don't know if two inmates could. Okay. But he, He's not an inmate. Benjamin Ernest is just, a, like, a civilian. Oh, that makes more sense. I don't know why in my head she had another prison boyfriend. I just, no. I went straight there. And apparently there. there's, like... In a lot of cases, there's actually, like, small trailers and, like, motor yes, homes in on that properties case, yeah. for medical visits, which is super fucking weird. Yeah, so she just wants, like, special treatment. Like, here's, like, a one-hour hotel room <laughs> that we're going to have to come in and clean after you. It's so gross. Like, I totally understand why it happens, and I get that it's, like, a fundamental skill we need is that, or, like, thing we need is human contact. Totally. But, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ew. Ew. Yeah. Anyhow, we actually don't know the status of the relationship so much after a about 2016 though so three years earlier than the information was released because jody called one of the guards a cock block and actually got all her communication privileges removed (laughs) so we don't actually know what's happening because they have no way of interacting with each other now so i don't actually know if benjamin ernest is pining for miss arius outside of prison while she just slangs her artwork from in there could he not still like go visit her though in person I don't know, because it said her outside communication privileges had been removed, so I don't know if that includes visitation, and it sounds like they had no contact whatsoever, so I think that they were removed altogether. I I know, I shouldn't be laughing, but she just, it's such an idiot. A cock block. (laughs) You were your own damn cock block, you just got your potential fiancé banned from prison, you're one step back from your conjugal visits. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, Jody. I can't stand her. And yeah, she sells art from prison now. Yeah, I think we you are. We knew that. We knew that. It's she not has. Very good. Yeah, and there's like a website, isn't there, that's like promoting her. Yeah, it's like Jody Arias Art or something. No, I it's just not. Can't. It's get fucked, Jody. We're not promoting your We're art. We're definitely not promoting your art. Well, you know, it's always good to throw a little bit of that in the mix. Uh, I, I like a chuckle every now and then. Um, yeah, and I think we all just, I think Jody has proven that we can make jokes at her expense because yeah. she is a walking joke in a lot of ways. Yeah, and like, I don't, I don't disagree with the argument that like Travis Alexander was a trash boyfriend and was like a quite a toxic no. part of that um, environment, but he didn't kill anyone and he certainly didn't deserve to die. And her behavior no. since then has just been so off the charts and preposterous. Just very ridiculous that um, she's she's done this on her own to form my opinion of her. Uh, it has nothing to do with with uh, you know the situation that she was in. She's just like straight up, she sucks. So yeah, I mean relationships fail, and it takes two to tango in any relationship. And I don't think that they had a healthy dynamic and. Knowing how crazy she was, I don't think he should have been entertaining um, random rendezvous to hook up with her because it was giving the wrong ideas. However, nothing he did, like you said, made it so it was valid to murder him. Oh, and like the way that it went down to or really disrupt his life. (laughs) Like she literally took photos of the entire murder. Like. And that wasn't yeah. by accident. I I don't believe that that was an accident in any regard. So, anyways. Uh, I think that the yeah. leading up to the attack, all those photos were intentional. 
Um, I don't know if any photos during the act were necessarily intentional, although I do agree that it does look like the camera's being dropped and taking pictures. I don't negate that she could have put on shutter mode, though, and just been like, let's see what comes out of this mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, Who knows? Yeah, yeah, she's know. a weirdo. Yeah, she's very unpredictable. Um, so, yeah. Yep. The last update today is one of the bigger ones for sure. Like one of the longer, just like more in-depth ones. Um, And we're going to talk about the investigation into the murders of Barry and Honey Sherman. Uh, Now, if you haven't listened to this episode, I highly recommend it for a few reasons. It's one of the first episodes that we recorded together in person. So it's definitely a different dynamic. It's a little bit different, and it's, yeah. It's really, it's kind of funny in my opinion. Because, uh, yeah, it's just we're, we don't sound that much different when we're together, but you can, like, definitely tell. Yeah, the energy is just a little different when we're in the same room. Yeah, there's no internet lag. Let's put it that also, way. Also, do you remember, do you remember how much stuff we had to, like, prop up? Oh, my and gosh. And make shields so that our audio together was okay? Oh, my goodness. Next yeah. time we'll take more photos. It's hilarious when we record together in person it's easier now at my house i feel like but yeah where we were at the time it was like so janky and like just makeshift i honestly just have a lot of tables and seating area where i live now you do have a lot of surface yeah like where do you want to sit i have about seven options in one room alone So Barry and Honey Sherman, they were found dead on December 15th, 2017 by a realtor who was showing their 12,000 square foot North York, Ontario Mm -hmm. mansion to prospective buyers. Yes, we are dealing with wealth in Ontario again today. Yes, 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 Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. And I love that their name, I just love their names, Barry and Honey. It's like a fruit and a spread. They were both found seated on the pool room floor, fully clothed with black belts around their necks that were tied to metal railings along the pool. Um, It was an incredibly unique and bizarre crime scene. Police. To say the least. Yeah, like I don't have an actual photo of it, but there's like reenactment photos of it and it's truly bizarre. And sorry, just to like ask you again, because I do remember these photos of like the pool room, but was it like, you know, when like pools that we used to go to in apartment buildings or like public pools where it's like stairs on both sides and the poles in the middle. So it's just like a railing into the pool. Is that all it was? Because I just don't remember the railing itself. Well, like I think it was just because you're looking into the room and it's pretty, it's a fairly square room or not a very square room with an odd shaped pool and the stairs are at the far end, right? If I'm not mistaken. So actually this pool, I'm going to show you the photo through the webcam. Hold on. I got to find my own webcam. Um, And I can post photos of this on our Instagram, just like straight up of the pool. But this pool has like big railings around the back. So like almost like a hexagon shape of railings around a area of it almost yeah so like around the back of it is just and then so the entrance into the stairs would be like right there do you see that like where it kind of cuts out yeah on the side and then so like they're on the side and then the whole back is just like basically metal railing so they were found like seated and tied to the top by their necks of one of those like backside metal railings super weird yeah that's even weirder now yeah 
I had something different in my mind, I think, the whole time, even from the beginning. And Yeah, I'll post a photo of, like, just the straight, like, the empty pool room so everyone can kind of get a better visual of what that looked like. But, yeah, just a very strange, um, like, making a statement. You don't just leave people like that, you know what I mean? And they also thought, too, that they were potentially, probably, just based on the scene, killed and then, like, placed there. Like, dragged and placed in the chairs. Yeah, it wasn't like they were held at gunpoint, put down there, and zip-tied to the poles so they could rob the house. It wasn't that. This was something very showy in a lot of ways proving a point making a stance so yeah so police uh they initially suggested the deaths were a murder suicide however six weeks after the bodies were discovered they said that they believed the shermans were the victims of a targeted double homicide uh stating that the couple was thought to have been killed two nights earlier on december 13th Uh, I did read, actually, that this only happened because the family basically pushed for a second autopsy. I wonder, though, because we don't really know the condition and quality of the pool and the size of that room, could decomp have been sped up for the first 24 to 48 hours or Mm -hmm. so because of the humidity and the heat from the pool room. Like those are really warm, humid rooms and we know what heat can do and moisture can do to decomp. I was going to say moisture. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder how much that process would have been sped up just naturally based on the location in the house. And could someone Mm -hmm. have used that to their advantage knowing that could play into it? Yeah. I think that they thought it was the 13th at at night just based on like, cell phone records and the last time they were seen like they i believe they were both last seen at the apotex which we'll get into a little bit um at like the apotex building for meetings that night and then they both left and then like nobody really heard from them again and it wasn't until the realtor found them because they were like showing the house and they were supposed to have like gone on a trip. They weren't even supposed to be there. And then that realtor was like showing the place and walked in on them. It just like wasn't weird that the housekeeper and stuff was there and didn't think anything was amiss because like they genuinely weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. The investigation Hmm. seemed to the public, it's been like super highly scrutinized um, that Basically, they just feel like the police haven't done enough or haven't, like, told the public what they've been doing. And so it feels like it's gone cold for a number of years. The Sherman family hired a private investigator in the hopes that it would help solve the murder. Um, and they actually have even offered a $10 million reward. Yes, $10 million. Whoa. Um, I thought you were going to say 10000 No, $10 million. So as we know, Barry was 75 years old at the time of his Great. death, and he was the founder of a Canadian pharmaceutical company, Apotex. So he was amongst yeah. Canada's rolling wealthiest. In yeah, rolling in the deep dough. Rolling with my homies. His wife, Honey, was 70 years old and among the country's most well-known philanthropists. Um, Their murder was a shock to many who knew them and to the public. Now, I did read as well, I didn't go too much into, like, the businessy side of stuff. Like, there's so many theories around you know business dealings gone bad and debts and oh yeah there's many things there's i could probably read about it for years and it's just like stuff that doesn't really interest me that much (laughs) if i'm being completely honest like mob hits i did um read that he did owe a like close to a billion dollars in debts whoa which is an insane amount of money to me okay i think motive there okay 
So potential motive. I mean, there's lots of different angles of motive, though, and I, I will get into a little bit more. But there recently um, news outlets basically have been fighting to get details of this investigation released for years. So they've been submitting ITOs, which are information to obtain submissions to the court, basically pleading that the investigation should be made more public. They've been doing it for a long time. So recently, um, some redacted documents have kind of started to come out. Um, so there was one that spoke about a potential like religious motive, I guess. Uh, the Sherman family and Honey's religion are very opposite. There's some like, she's Jewish. And I believe I do go into it a little bit later there's a whole bunch of motives is basically all i'm trying to say there's like family there's like family could have motive there's these like billion dollars in debts that he had that could have motive there's like family religious motives there's like motives all over the place which is why this case is so difficult i think Mm -hmm. the last month we got the biggest update that this case has seen to date On Tuesday, December 14th, 2021, just one day before the fourth year memorial of their murders, Toronto Police Service released a security video from the Sherman Home and... (laughs) Toronto Police released a security video from the Sherman Home security footage of what they called a suspect with no identified gender walking near the home. Like, they couldn't identify the gender from the video. It's just um, a figure. Yes. Yeah. The, video that they, the video they released is 22 seconds long. This is the first time since the couple was murdered that the police have used the term suspect instead of person of interest, which is Ooh. huge. So they have something else on said person. Yeah, this person has been elevated from a person of interest, which is just sort of like... You are connected in some way, but we don't actually know how and we just want to like chat with you to suspect, which means we have been unable to rule you out in this investigation. Um, So this person Mm -hmm. was seen walking near the home. So it's like the video shows them they're in all it looks like they're in all black. It's like a. Yeah, it could be, like, dark jeans and a jacket, but it does look like they're in all black. Like a longer length-ish kind of jacket, like a hood or a hat. You can't really see their face. They walk past the home, and then we don't really see this part, but apparently they, like, stay at a frame near the home for, like, a suspicious amount of time before they eventually come back into the frame and walk the direction they came. Hmm. And do we know how long they're out of frame for? Sorry, I might have missed that. We don't, and it's not in the video. They just say it was like, quote, a suspicious amount of time, and then they walk back again. Because, like, to get the attack that we know took place, it just doesn't seem like a quick attack, that's all. So that's why I wondered how long they were out of frame, but I could understand why that's the piece they can't reveal. Yeah, so what what they said was, uh, so Detective Sergeant Brandon Price with Toronto Police said... The amount of time this person spent near the home, um, as well as like the time of day that it was, 
is what makes this mm-hmm. person a suspect and not just a person of interest. So they so obviously lingered long it's enough. It's not a time to be standing around at that time of day yeah. in that kind of residential area. Well, it was this, the, the same time that they were thought to have been murdered. In the yeah. same window of time. Suspicious. Yeah. He also said, Through our investigation, we have been unable to determine what this individual's purpose was in the neighborhood. I would ask that you pay particular attention to the gait or stride or walk style that this person has on the video. He basically said that this was the last person left for police to identify. It's the only person in their, like, 300 persons of interest that they haven't, like, Mm -hmm. ruled out or been able to identify. And for anyone who wants to help with this, like, when they're saying that, like, this could be a limp. It could be that maybe they walk heavier on one foot. It could be the tiniest thing that you notice that could identify someone, Mm -hmm. though. So if you are one of these people that has seen this video and you think you might recognize something, even if it's the tiniest thing. And, like, you might only recognize it if you've seen this person, right? Like, you might only pick it up if you've seen it before. Yeah. So the police say the person has a distinctive hitch or gait that would be, like we just mentioned, recognizable to somebody that knows them and are asking the public to watch the video uh, and look out for that. Like, this could be your neighbor, a guy that goes to your gym, a regular in the coffee shop that you work at, you watch him walk in every single day. You know what I mean? Like, it could be literally anyone. Yeah. The suspect is... You could literally snicker to your coworker, like, ha, look, that guy walks like he's got a stick up his butt. Yeah. But that could be the thing that triggers your memory to be the indicator. Exactly. The suspect is seen in the video wearing a dark hip-length jacket with their head covered, uh, like maybe a hood. Uh, They are said to be between 5'6 and 5'9 or 5'10. My sources differed, but I think it's 5'6 and 5'9. They were also wearing dark boots. The police used what's called photogrammetry to determine the suspect's height, which uses known objects in an area like a tree or a fire hydrant that are in the frame. Um, and other factors to estimate the height and weight of an individual caught on video or in a photo. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So they're using things like door frames or yes. a building height or something that they can go in back and reference. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Love it. Since releasing the video, the police have reportedly received hundreds of tips related to it. Um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the police said that they were unable to determine the person's gender, race, or like skin color or anything like that that would like identify mm-hmm. them in any way. So after I read this, I got a little bit curious about like gate analysis and what like how that works in a criminal setting. Yeah. Michael Nuremberg is a forensic podiatrist, and he says that the use of gait analysis in criminal investigations dates back to, like, the 1830s. And podiatry is someone that studies feet. Yes. Yeah. Which is an unusual job. And if literally any single person listening to this episode watches Bones, <laughs> you know that we all just giggled at forensic podiatrists because it's a joke in the show. So Okay. It's an inside joke. You'd only get it if you watch both. You and your boner has got an inside joke over there. Okay. Boners. <laughs> so in the book Forensic Gate Analysis, Principles and Practice, Michael Nuremberg wrote, what was once an almost accidental, 
accidental source of evidence has become a routine forensic option for some law enforcement agencies. In Canada in 2009, Daniel Aitken was convicted of the December 2004 first-degree murder of Adan Marino, and part of that conviction was based on a podiatrist's testimony regarding Daniel Aitken's gait. On appeal, his lawyers argued that gait analysis was opinion without scientific basis and therefore should not have been allowed by the trial judge. The appellate court judge in this case ultimately ruled the evidence as admissible. Um, So they said it was a science to some degree and that it was admissible evidence. So there's always an opposition, of course, to... Any, anything really. Um, and so many researchers have questioned the validity of gait analysis, arguing that it has significant limitations in terms of accuracy, validity, and reliability, even when done through algorithmic analysis. They argue that in order to be a valid identifier, a number of challenges must be overcome, including image quality and duration, Um, A variety of different movement types, like is the person on screen running or walking? Are they injured, intoxicated, or are they deliberately trying to disguise their gait? Which, like, I truly feel is fairly rare. Um, I don't know. I've heard of a few cases of people wearing the wrong size shoes to try to dupe stuff, which I think could be a modification of your gait. And that works when it's, like, a sophisticated criminal. I just think... That in the majority and that of cases, doesn't actually work anyway. Yeah, you can't fake your foot imprint in a shoe where your right. foot isn't. And I think like the average person isn't this very sophisticated, planned criminal. Like that's just no. the way it is. Those are actually very few and far between in the justice system. Um, so most people aren't deliberately trying to disguise how they walk. I think you can take things into account, like intoxication. Like you, you know, if you're watching a video of somebody at three in the morning, you yeah. can, you know, you could take that into account. I do see what they're saying, but of course, I just wanted to throw in the uh, the arguments of against. Course. Yeah, I personally think that it is a great use. I mean, I I think you could like tell how your friends walk, even right. Like I know how Brandon um. walks. Yeah, and I think that there's also a lot to be said that, like... Well, like, if you think you see somebody that you know at the mall, and then you're like, oh, no, that's not how that person walks. Like, that's happened to me before. Yeah, or I've said, oh, my God, that person walks exactly like Mm so-and-so. Because from behind, it looks like them. Yeah. It's not... It can go both ways. I think that we... It's, like, one of those small things about people that we overlook until we get asked questions about them, and then we really know a lot about it. So I think we'd be shocked... At how much we actually know about our friends and family members, the way they walk. Yeah. I don't have this written down, but I think I read something that said, like, on average, people without, like, trying will be able to recognize their friends or family's walk 37% of the time. Which is honestly pretty high, in my opinion, if you're, like, not looking for it. Especially considering eyewitness statement is one of the least reliable. Yeah. That's a recall. And being able to accurately identify someone by their walk almost 40% of the time, I think, is pretty impressive. Yeah. So of the video released by Toronto Police, uh, podiatrist Michael Nuremberg said that he can see distinctiveness in the swing of the suspect's arm and a tilt of their head. 
There's also evidence that the suspect kicks up with their right foot with every step. Um, Nuremberg said that a gait analyst would use the footage and build a head-to-toe profile of the way that they walk in order to match them to footage of the suspect. Um, he also called the 22-second 20 video, sorry, quote, good footage. He said, like, it is good gait oh. analysis footage if yeah. that's if you're using it for that purpose fair now along with the video there was uh, i mentioned that there's been recently a bunch of unsealed documents related to the sherman murders that pretty much outlines the past four year investigation by toronto police they are super heavily redacted but they do include a statement by mary who's honey sherman's sister that someone may have been quote making a statement and that it could have been religion motivated. So this is where the religion comes in. Now, I know nothing about most religions. So this is just straight from these documents and like not my opinion in any way, shape or form because I don't have one. She stated that the Shermans were strong supporters of Israel and that Honey was very vocal about being Jewish. And I guess she was potentially like attending seminars and things that could hurt the Israeli community religion. Um, again, I, I, I am not educated in a lot in most religions. So like, I don't know much about that. It no, just looked, it looked like she was maybe attending some seminars and, and getting involved with some things that were like potentially threatening to the Sherman family's religion and what they believe in. And like, what I do know okay. about religion is that it can get, you know when, when it gets really serious um and you kind of get uh extreme into extremism and things like that it, it can get ugly not saying yes. that's what was going on here i'm just saying like that's really my only knowledge of it if it's a possible motive though it's a possible yep. topic so i think it's fair for us to say that we understand that this could be a valid motive because yeah. it can get out of control quickly yeah for sure the documents also include the significant lengths that the Toronto police have gone through to try and solve the Sherman murder, including going through the phone data of hundreds of people who were connected to the Sherman couple. Um, in total, at the time the documents were released, which was like a week ago, there had been 1,255 public tips. The Toronto police have spoken to 250 wow. witnesses. They have taken nine... 992 investigative actions including cross-referencing cell phone tower information with locations of people seen on like security video which like don't worry i'm gonna get there um that's a whole another <laughs> set can of friggin worms i think i also read something like they've actioned 41 search warrants they've done a lot of work um and the fact that they've kept all the work that they've done so close to the chest for this long and it's only because like news outlets are prying for it that it's coming out that shows that like they don't want to jeopardize this they truly feel like if the person they're knows that something. they're getting close yeah. that it could be dangerous so like maybe we should just let the police do their job it'll blow up in their face the 22-second clip that they released to the public was reportedly taken from over 2,000 hours of footage that has been combed through by investigators of, like, security wow. ring cams and stuff in the area around their house. Jeez. Yeah. 
Detective Sergeant Price was also asked during a press release why it took four years for the police to release the video, and his response was, quote, the investigative considerations were that the cost to the investigation by releasing it early on would have outweighed the benefit of, of releasing it early on. So we undertook these investigative steps, exhaustive investigative steps, to identify this inv- individual and now having gotten to the point point where we have not been able to do so with these videos, this is now the prudent time to release this to the public and seek the public's assistance. So he's basically saying like, we wanted to make sure that we couldn't solve it with this video on our own before we just asked the public for help. Like we would like to try and be given Which the opportunity to do our job first. Yeah. Yeah. Like, thank you for waiting your turn. Yeah. Which you didn't really do, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if the video would have been released um, without, you know, the pressure from pressure, yeah. news outlets and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. I had to, like, subscribe to the Toronto Star because I think they were the ones that have, like, exclu- <laughs> exclusive access to the documents. So I was like, oh, here we go. I've got to pay the Toronto Star a monthly fee now to get what I'm looking for. I get the notifications on my phone <laughs> because you use our email. And so I end on my watch. So the other night I was standing somewhere talking to someone and I was like, I just subscribed to the Toronto Olivia. Star. <laughs> no, it was me. Oh, I, I asked myself weekly if this is you or spam. <laughs> and it's always you. It's almost always me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Sergeant Detective Sergeant Price also confirmed that investigators are not ruling out the possibility that there is more than one suspect involved in the murders and described the video as valuable, but not the biggest lead in the case. Uh, so this statement was basically in response to uh, somebody essentially saying, like, is this is a last ditch ditch effort like you're just releasing this because you have like absolutely nothing else and it's like your last ditch case and he kind of said like this video is really valuable but it's not the biggest thing that we have yeah this is supporting evidence that they're allowed to show to get a bit of public help this is not the big thing (laughs) i think they have dna evidence from the house but they need to find out who the guy is to compare it to the person yeah so i think they have dna just no person to try it against katie's got a theory Basically, we as the public just need to, like, mind our damn business. Yeah, until we're asked for help, let's not pry into stuff that isn't ours to know yet because we're probably just going to fuck it up because we don't know what to do properly with the information. (laughs) Yeah, we don't understand due process. Okay. So let's talk about the cell phone data for a moment uh, because, remember, I said that they were, like, cross-referencing people phone data well what they did was they cross-referenced phone data with security cam footage of the area so i'm gonna get into this these documents uh reveal that in early 2019 the police went before judge leslie pringle which just makes me giggle Uh, i love pringles I went to school with a guy with that last name. Oh, side note, limited edition honey mustard Pringles are the tip. Stop. Get Do they them have them now. right now? Yeah, they're amazing. Brandon, Three for five at Walmart if you're right listening now. to this, buy me some Pringles. This comes up next week. Oh, I'm going to have You could go get your own Pringles by then. I hate, I don't like going to the store. I don't like leaving my Text house. Text him. <laughs> so, I'm so such a hermit now. Same. Do you hear the vacuum? So anyway. That's our time to wrap Pringle. up. <laughs> Yeah, 
We're almost done, people. We hear the vacuum. We're, we're Pringling in. In early ni- 2019, police went before Judge Leslie Pringle of the Ontario Court of Justice asking for permission to obtain what they called, quote, tower dumps from mm-hmm. Bell, Telus, Rogers, and Freedom, which are all Canadian telecommunications com- uh, companies that are cell phone providers. Yeah. The tower dump info would be for the areas around the Sherman home as well as around Apotex on the night of the murder. So they would like take all of the information from all of those towers for those areas and that time period and also um, in the weeks and in some cases months prior to the murders. Most of us know how cell tower information works. Uh, we did talk about it a bit last week with the Dellen Millard case as well, because that case relied heavily on um, uh, cell phone data yeah. and cell phone tower dumps, as they're called. I didn't realize that. But basically, a cell phone is used to make a call or receive a text, and it communicates with the nearest cell tower in the area. Um, this data is specific to an area. Think like basically drawing an invisible box around like a section of street or like like a proper an area yep which would posit that at the moment that that call or text was made or received the person was inside that little box which would give you an area where they are the police order was granted under the provision that police would use a strict protocol to maintain the privacy of in, uh, innocent people whose cell communication patterns were picked up in this massive dump. So, like, people that would have absolutely no connection to this whatsoever, let's uh, protect their privacy. Or people that just generally live in the area yeah. and you see their routine is coming and going to work. Like, yeah. let's eliminate them automatically yeah. if that's exactly exactly eliminate yeah. certain people automatically that's exactly it so the next step after that is to run a comparison to like roughly i think they said 300 persons of interest phone numbers Jesus. and this tower dump <gasps> okay yeah so they're i mean i appreciate their due diligence but okay right this is such an involved process i was like so interested while i was learning about it yeah. So when they started doing this, it was somewhat a success as sometime in 2020, the police started getting like hits. Uh, so person of interest phone numbers start showing up on these tower dumps that they're pulling. Yeah. This, of course, then triggers the police to conduct a background investigation um, on these people. But they also, so they they conduct a background investigation for the phone numbers and from phone records obtained by way of a production order um, that were common to the tower dump transmission data results. So essentially, like any persons of interest that were like commonly coming up on the tower dump, um, they had a ability to do like kind of a more deep investigation of those phone records so like we can now go in and look like at your call history and your messages yeah exactly yeah we have probable cause to look into you now based on what we have found on a very wide net search we've done exactly yeah 
So the theory and reasoning behind pulling these tower dumps was uh, they believed that Barry and Honey were murdered. um, And so the documents indicate, of course, that they call him, quote, walking guy is the prime suspect. So like the police have had these videos and information and have like considered this guy a suspect for way longer than, of course, we've known about it. Um, So a detective wrote up another request to the court for permission to conduct additional analysis of the cell communication data. And the police were basically starting to think that the Shermans may have been under some form of surveillance prior to their murder. The theory. That's why they went back months. Yeah. And so the theory, now they have this walking guy, they're pulling all this phone data and the theory that links the video of the walking man and the cell phone tower data is that. They're thinking that walking guy is potentially like a middleman or a hitman that could have been in communication with another person of interest that was communicating with him nearby. So they're thinking that maybe this person was like not connected at all and was like, yeah, contract contracted killer basically. And so they're trying to like. Or even someone who's in the area who's reporting to someone else. Mm-hmm. Like he might not be that guy. Yeah. There's so many. There's so they're, so many they're essentially trying there. to find evidence of like a an operation going down at the time that this murder took place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, okay. though, in a recent court appearance, a very recent court appearance, Detective Constable Dennis Yim uh, said, quote, we've done comparisons and analysis and those comparisons and analyses have not borne any fruit. So basically, the cross-referencing of the cell phone towers and person of interest numbers just didn't yield anything of value in the case, which is, again, why the police are now releasing this video and turning to the public for assistance, because they have truly run all their avenues. And, like, I think we can say that they've done their due diligence to try and uh, figure this one out in terms of the video. So if you have any information about the person walking Definitely. in the video, um, I can, I'll put the link in the show notes and everything. Please contact the Toronto police. Um, that's about it. That is. I it. like this episode. I think this was fun. It was really fun to kind of re-talk about these cases that we've already covered and provide some updates and just have a chit-chat. And The Barry and Honey Sherman when I... freezing really bad to me. Oh, no. It's me. Mine says my internet's unstable. That's okay. We're done. We are done. But but anyway, yeah, let us know what you think. We had a lot of fun doing this episode. You can check us out on Patreon, Podcast by Proxy on all social media platforms. And Share with your friends. Cool. Share with your coworkers. Yeah. Share with your mom if she likes weird stuff. Message us if you want us to send you some stickers. Yeah. DM us on Instagram. We'll send you a stack of stickers and you can give them out to your friends. We are happy to do that. We'll hook you up with some of those. So put them on, you know, your suitcase, your laptop, your 
day planner, whatever you put stickers on. And if you do enjoy our show, a really easy and free way to provide us extra support is leaving a rating or review on whatever listing platform you're on. Um, So Spotify has the ability to leave a five star just rating. You don't have to even write anything. If you've ever listened to like, I think one minute of an episode on Spotify, you have the ability to leave a rating. You have to have like listened to a certain amount. Um, But that will obviously help get our show pushed out to more people. And if you have an iPhone or you're on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating as well as a written review, which is also so helpful for us. Um, I also did just want to mention that we are now affiliated with our podcast platform. So the platform that we use to actually push out our podcast to all the different platforms is called Podbean and we are working with them now. So if you are uh, wanting to start a podcast or you need to switch platforms for whatever reason, we do really enjoy Podbean and you can get one month free of um, a paid subscription by visiting podbean.com slash podcast by proxy. I almost fucked that up. (laughs) Podbean.com slash podcast by proxy. Yep, or you can head over to our link tree if we have said way too many things and you want access to all of them. By all means, feel free to head over there and see what Mm. else we have to offer. You can also see our promo code if you want to try out Good Food as well at Free Podcast by Proxy. Yeah, and we do truly like appreciate everyone's support. You guys are the reason that we're able to have promo codes and offer things, which is so crazy to us still, but we're just like riding the wave of podcast by proxy which seems to be growing every single day um yeah this wave is still rolling i will never not be shocked when we have a really big influx in listeners or things like that so i will literally never not be like humbled and shocked um so yeah we really appreciate it and that's all from me yeah that's all from me too i have nothing else i'll call you soon okay Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me.